0: Father, we do need you. We do need you much more at times than we recognize or are willing to admit. But we do need you, Father, and we need you now to inspire your word in us. I pray, Father, that it would be a brief word from you. I pray, my Father, that you would prepare our hearts and minds to worship you and to know you and to serve you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Please, those of you that have your Bibles with you, would you uh, do me a favor, please, and open them. Open them to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke. Uh, chapter 18, I'm going to continue to teach through the gospel of Luke. And if you don't bring your Bibles, I want to encourage you to do that. I think it's important. We continue seeing Jesus traveling south from Galilee toward Jerusalem. It seems to me that we've been in this journey for a long, long time, because we've been looking at all kinds of encounters, all kinds of teachings, and all kinds of situations that Jesus experiences on his journey down from Galilee. And if you remember what I've told you so far, he comes down from Galilee after the transubstantiation, um, uh, and not transubstantiation, uh, trans transfiguration different word (laughs) both theological but different word Uh, but he comes down after uh, that event with Moses and and Elijah and he bypasses uh, Samaria and he cuts to the east across the river Jordan and he's been coming down Uh, on the east side of the river Jordan. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to cross with Jesus into the area of Jericho and across the river Jordan and up the hill of Gethsemane and where Bethany is and down the Kidron Valley and then back up uh, to the holy city of Jerusalem. But he continues coming down on that side. He continues to teach his disciples in that journey. And I think it's important that we see ourselves as journeying with Jesus as he is coming down. Now, it is extremely important, especially for the passage today, that you realize that Jesus is headed for the cross. Jesus is headed into Jerusalem to die in a cross for your salvation and my salvation. The parable that Jesus tells is very important that we place it in that journey between the cross of Jesus and his second coming. Because that's the only way to truly understand the parable. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to die on a cross. Forty days later, he ascends to heaven, and he gives us the promise that he will come again. We are dealing with chapter 18. Chapter 17, that I did not preach on, and we didn't read, I don't, I don't believe, dealt a great deal with the second coming of Christ. And he announced his second coming and explained events of the last days. When we finish this parable, Jesus ends with these words, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That's the end of that passage. Verse 8, the latter part of verse 8. When Jesus returns again, will he find faith on the earth? The parable is truly about what the church of Jesus Christ ought to be doing between the cross and the second coming. Are you with me? That's what this parable is about. Jesus wants his church to be busy between his death and his second coming. And what he's saying is that the church needs to be a prayerful church in that period of time. Prayer and perseverance in prayer is the job of the church between the cross and Jesus' return. It may be that for some people Jesus' return is delaying. But let me tell you this about this parable. Two things. One, it verifies that Jesus is coming back. And two, it verifies that all our prayers will be answered if not in this life, at the time of his return. The answer of God to all prayers, all promises, will be present in the second coming of Christ. There will be nothing unfulfilled. There will be nothing unanswered. And at that time, the Christian church will receive all vindications of anything they may have suffered between the cross and the second coming. Are you with me? If you want to understand this parable, you have to sandwich it between the cross and the second coming of Christ. It is a parable about prayer. It is a parable about the work of the church in persevering daily in prayer. There are two keys to understanding this parable. Two keys, very important. The first key to understanding the parable is the comparison between this evil judge and God. That's the first thing you need to understand in the parable. There is a contrast between this earthly judge and God. It tells us in the parable that there was a man in a certain city, a judge in a certain city, who could care less about God and certainly could care less about man. So clearly, we know this judge is an unbeliever. This judge does not sit or seek the will of God or the justice of God or the ways of God. This man has his own justice to give out. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care what God wants. He doesn't have direction from God. He does not follow the word of the Lord. He has no respect for God. He has no respect for his word. He has over him no supreme being. He has over him no other authority than his own authority. And you can imagine that judge in that city causing all people in the city to be very scared to come before that man. Because justice would be handed one way today and possibly another way tomorrow. One way for this individual and a different way for that individual. This man is truly not a just judge. He judges the way he wants, when he wants, and to whom he wants. He has no sense of what true justice is all about. In other words, he uses the bench for his own purposes. He has set himself as his own God over these people. He has no one over him. He feels he's in charge of every situation, of every dealings that the people had. He is in control of the justice system in this city. Justice is whatever he wants it to be. He has no law for true justice. His type of justice is no justice at all. He is what we might call an egotist, a selfish individual, and a very self-centered man. He could care less what God said justice was. On the other hand, not only does he not care about God, he also doesn't care about anybody. He feels he has so much power... That everybody has to bow down to him or they will not get justice in his court. He could care less about any other person. He's not afraid of any repercussions from anyone else. He is a God sitting over the outcome and the fate of those who need to come before his court. A self-made man, he believes everybody should be lower than him, and he has the right to dictate what way things ought to be done depending on how he's feeling that day. It's a very unjust judge. You need to compare that because it's important in the parable that you contrast this man's attitude this judge attitudes and God's attitude who is the true judge of all things our god is a god of perfect justice It is a God of perfect justice. He's a God of perfect justice because he knows the truth about all things. He knows the intentions of my heart, and he knows the secrets of your heart. And when he judges you and me, he judges us with true justice. He is perfect judge, but he's also a judge of infinite love infinite mercy, and infinite grace. That is our God. He eternally cares for his elect. He eternally cares for his chosen, those who believe in him, whom he hath drawn unto himself. He loves them and cares for them, corrects them when they need correction, judges them when they need judgment, but he is a loving redeemer who is in the interest of justice and of building up and not of tearing down. To understand this parable, you have to contrast that judge with the true judge of the universe. He stands, our God stands in complete opposition to this other individual. The second point, or the second key to understanding the parable is that you need to contrast And compare the widow to us, the church. First key is to compare the unjust judge with the righteous judge. Second key is to compare the widow with the elect, with the people of God, with his church. This widow most likely is of no importance in the town. She likely has no, um, she's not known. She's perhaps unknown or she just has no importance in this town. In a way, what happened was when you lose your family or you lose your husband or your children, the likelihood is she becomes kind of a non-entity at this time. So she probably has and is lacking importance, especially to this judge. Secondly, this widow is a woman. A woman who physically cannot defend herself against those people that have somehow wronged her. Something is going on where she feels wrong that she needs to come to the court and does not take matters into her own hands. It is possible that someone has stolen from her whatever was left from her widowhood. Physically, she doesn't seem to be able to fight these people on her own. And certainly, she doesn't have physically the ability to go up to this judge and give him a couple of good slaps for his attitude. She doesn't have that physical ability. She is a woman in a society where women were not as valued. Thirdly, this is a widow. A widow that has lost her husband, and the likelihood because of the scenery or because of the situation, she has no sons either. Or they would be there at the court representing the family, representing her, or they would be out defending her against those people that have so wronged her. The likelihood is that this widow is all by herself. No defender, no protector, no representer that would represent her and fight for her in the court or in the society. She's a widow. Sometimes when widows are presented in the Bible, they're represented as alone, completely alone and defenseless. The other thing about this widow likely is that she's poor, or at least her income is so low because she doesn't have the income from a, a hard-working male in her family. So she doesn't have the ability to bribe this judge. The likelihood is that this, bribe, this judge used a lot of bribes, because that's how he did his justice. So she doesn't and may not have had the ability to bribe him at all. She has been unjustly treated, By an individual. We don't know what the situation is. Maybe they've stolen the last things. Or want to steal the property left to her. By her family. Somehow she's been wrong. From somebody that have treated her unjustly. And now she comes before a judge. Who again treats her unjustly. Who again abuses her does not respect her, doesn't listen to her, and could care less what her fate will be. So she's being unjustly treated by these other people and now unjustly treated by this judge. She's got only one weapon. This is a woman of perseverance. This is a woman who doesn't let go. She knows what justice is, and she's going to seek justice for her situation no matter what. She's going to come every single day, and she's going to ask every single day that true justice be given to her. And she comes one day, and he could care less. And she comes another day, and he won't listen. And she comes, and she comes, and she comes, and she comes, until this judge decides, she's going to wear me out. She's going to keep coming. I dream about this woman every night. Because I know next morning she's going to be there. This woman is bothering the hell out of me. She doesn't give up. She doesn't give up. I think the best thing I can do, just give her what she wants, get her out of my life, get her out of my court, and just give her what she wants and get rid of her. And that's what he does. That's what he does. He then is forced, not that he changes his character, not that he changes who he is, Not that he changes his attitude toward anybody else. He just gets worn out from the incessant appearance and requesting and crying out for justice upon this man. I told you to compare her with the church. The church... Is not unknown. The church is known, especially by our God. We are known by name. We are known by name before the judge of the universe. When we come to him in prayer, when we cry out to him in need, he knows who it is that is coming before him, and he knows that person by name. We also are not unprotected. We have a defender, our protector, the Lord Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us in the throne room of God. We have a God who cares, a God who truly cares, a God that is ready to listen to every petition, to every praise, to every request. A God that will listen to prayers because he loves us and cares for us and desires to hear all our needs. You've got to compare this widow who is ignored by a judge and us who have the ability to come before our God through the, through the curtain and go into the throne room and call him Abba, and he knows who we are and he cares for what we need. What a contrast between this widow and the church. The key word in the parable. The key word that Jesus wants to put in our hearts is not the judge or the widow, it's who God is. We can trust Him in our moments of need. To who Jesus Christ is as the mediator between God and the Father. The Holy Spirit is called the attorney, the defending attorney, the advocate of the church before the throne room of God. But the most important thing he wants to put in our hearts is perseverance. Perseverance in prayer. Between the cross and the second coming of Christ, the church must persevere in prayer every single day. We must be known as a people of prayer who come before a loving God with every need, every situation, and every circumstance. Perseverance in prayer. You see, the problem with our prayer life is not that God won't answer. The prayer, the problem with our prayer life is that we don't pray. We want it given to us but we are not people with the habit of prayer with a serious habit of prayer. If you're honest you will say Father Jose is right. I'm not a persevering prayer person. I pray when I have a need. I pray when someone has a need. I pray in emergency circumstances, but I don't have a habit of daily persevering before my God every single day to commune with Him, to be changed by Him, to listen to Him. I don't have that. The problem with our prayer life is not with God. It is with the negligence of the church of God. We want God to deliver but we're not committed to a daily time of prayer. We're too busy to pray until we need the Lord. Is there an amen out there? Amen. Am I right? Yes. The problem with our prayer life is that we don't know how to pray, and second, that we don't pray. The problem is not that God don't hear. The problem is not that God doesn't answer. The problem is with you and with me. The word that is this parable is all about, and that Jesus wants us to know from the cross to his second coming, that we ought to be a church that always prays and never gives up, no matter what the circumstances are no matter the enemy that comes against us, no matter whether we get an answer or not, we are to be a people that persevere coming before our God every single day it should be a habit of our lives to pray every day just like you have a habit to get on your car and go to work every day and you're not late you need to be in prayer before you leave your house every single day and if the mornings are too hard because you have to get going too early then make it at lunchtime or make it in the evening but you have to be a persevering people of prayer between the cross and the second coming. The church is a praying church. That's the job of the church, according to what Jesus is teaching here to his disciples. Persevering prayer. When Jesus comes back, all prayers will be answered. Even those that, that you think he's taking too long, he knows why he's taking too long. But when Jesus Christ comes, every promise will be fulfilled. Every prayer will be answered. And everything done wrong will be set straight when Jesus comes back. But in between times, no matter what we face, we get on our knees and we pray. And we pray and we pray. Because God is ready to listen. And God invites us to listen. That's what this parable is about. This parable is about the perseverance in prayer. And let me tell you this, the woman, the woman persevered so much that the judge had to give up. That's not so with God. God's attitude is one that he wants to give us everything we ask for. Everything we need if we pray rightly before him. He has the prerogative of saying yes, saying no, or saying wait. Our prerogative is that we pray, and we pray, and we pray until the Lord gives us what we're praying for. We don't give up. We don't give up. Because perseverance means constancy. Perseverance doesn't mean half-hazard or today and then not tomorrow. Perseverance means constant. It means now. It means tomorrow. It means every day. Perseverance means staying the course, staying the course, staying the course until Jesus Christ returns in victory. That's the kind of praying that Jesus wants us to have and to know. That's what this parable is about. Now, let me give you some practical stuff. First of all, you can take notes. First of all, pray without ceasing. We have to pray without ceasing. Let me tell you, prayer is not about how you feel. Prayer is about how committed you are to the Lord. Because let me tell you, there are mornings I don't want to get up to pray. I don't want to get up. Either I went to bed too late or I ate too much and I didn't sleep well that night. There's all kinds of reasons why I don't want to get up at times. My custom is 5 a.m. in the morning. 5 a.m. my clock alarm goes off and I'm out of my bed to go pray. I have people to pray for that are dear in my heart. And every single day, whether I feel this way or feel that way, I have an appointment with my God. He's waiting for me to get out of bed, meet him at that place where he's waiting for me so that the two of us can commune so that the two of us can talk, so that he can tell me how he wants things to be. I have an appointment daily, and I have to get out of my bed, my comfortable bed, at 5 a.m., because there are people that I need to pray for. Family, brothers and sisters, and people in need. Perseverance is about constancy. Constancy. It's not about how you feel. It's about how committed you are to knowing that God is waiting for you to talk to him. He's waiting for you in one of the rooms in your house, whichever room you choose. Or maybe you just roll out of bed, fall on your knees, and you start praying right there. Whatever works for you. But the Lord is waiting for you. The Lord is waiting for you every single day. It's not about feeling. It's about commitment. It's about initiative. It's about a hunger to talk to your Father and to listen to your Father talking to you. Let me give you a couple of more practical stuff. So first of all, do it. That's the first thing, do it, commit to it. Second, choose a regular time of prayer. Whatever works for you. For me, five in the morning. If I don't do it at five in the morning and I wait to get to the office, when I get to the office, I have stuff that I left from the day before, I have phone calls, I have emails, I have all kinds of things, and I do not give the Lord the time he needs and wants from me. I have to give him special attention. So for me, it works five in the morning. For some people, it may be at lunchtime. You get away, and you lock yourself in your car, and that's where you pray and read the Bible and praise God and study. For some people, it may be when you get home at night. For me, neither of those two work. It has to be in the morning. That's what works for me. Some people cannot pray like I pray med- meditatively. Some people need to walk. So pray as you walk, go into the garden, go into the, 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 the nature, go into nature, pray as you want, whatever works for you, but your appointment with God is every single day, and you need to persevere in your prayer life. Set a specific time. Number two, set a specific place where you meet with God. Is it your living room? Is it your dining room? Is it somewhere else? Wherever it is, set a place that you know that you and God meet there every day and where He's gonna be waiting for you. If you need some Christian music, put it on. If you need a book of meditation, Take it and prepare it for you. You know what works for me? I have a little black book where I write the people that I need to pray for. Because people tell me, Father Jose, pray for me. Unless I write it, I forget. Honestly, I forget. What helps me is I write down, pray for this person, pray for this person, pray for their family, and I make my list. So when I go to prayer, I am ready. And I don't forget those people that I make a commitment to pray for. You do what you need to do, but you get it done. The right time for you, the place for you, and whatever aid you may need in your prayer life. If you have a hard time praying, ask the Lord to awaken in you the desire. Ask the Lord, tell him, I know that I need to be spending more time with you in prayer, but Lord, something is not right. I keep putting other things ahead of you. Please change that in me. Give me a hunger, a desire, a pleasure, a joy whenever I'm with you. Show me how sweet being in your presence is so that I desire it every single day. Just ask the Lord, because he wants to meet with you every day. Anything else that, about prayer, it will come don 't worry about it. Just start there, start setting the time, start setting the place, start getting ready, and start asking the Lord to give you the the, the, the joy of being in his presence now i don 't want to make this sermon longer than I ought to. I use a particular way of praying at times, not all the time. Most of you have heard it perhaps. Acts 2, Acts 2, I can tell you more about it after the service if you like. Acts, adoration, you begin always adoring and praising God. C, confession, confess your sins before God. Confess honestly the things you have done or left undone. T, thanksgiving, S, supplication. I use Acts 2, 2-T-W-O, T, tarry, tarry, persevere persevere, tarry on on prayer. W, wait, wait on the Lord, wait, keep praying until he gives you an answer. O, obey, obey whatever the Lord is telling you to do. Be a person that obeys his word, that is in his word. If he tells you in prayer that you need to call somebody, don't postpone it, call somebody. If he tells you in prayer that you need to write a note to somebody, don't wait, get up, go write the note and send that note. Obey whatever the Lord tells you in prayer. Acts 2. And let me conclude with this. God is faithful. Amen. Amen? Are you faithful? Because Jesus concludes with the words Will he find faith in this earth when he returns? Will he find a faithful church? God is faithful. Are you faithful? Persevere in your prayer life. You will never tire your father. You will never become a nuisance to your father in heaven. On the contrary, he wants to know your every pain. He wants to know your every sorrow. He wants to know your every care. He wants to know your every joy. You will never have to wear him down. God is not like that. Our God desires to commune with us. So get to pray, church. Stand with me.